listening to episode 122 of the SBP podcast, and I am your host, Susie Botello. Hey, what are you doing on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, April 29th through May 1st? Because if you happen to be doing anything, change a plan. Add this to your calendar. The International Mobile Film Festival in San Diego is actually going to happen in person. We're going to screen six feature length films, 25 short films, four rookie award nominees. We're going to have a workshop, Q&A panels and presentations and a lot more. And guess what? Time is going to fly. You're not going to notice time is happening. Time is going to be spent because you are going to have a blast. There's going to be plenty of opportunity to talk with each other. We've got filmmakers that are already confirming coming from, uh, well, let's see, uh, the UK, California, which is really kind of a big state, (laughs) Uh, but they're also coming from different states and, and different countries. Anyways, you're going to meet all these filmmakers They're going to inspire you. You're going to learn from them. You're going to be uh, able to chat with them one-on-one. You're going to share stories and experiences. Um, I got to give a big shout out to the sponsors for this year's film festival. They are Film Convert, Moondog Labs, Filmic Pro, Star Wars Steampunk Universe, and the ever so more famous every year, Dude Vader. Swords and Circuitry Studios, Engraving Pros, and Mobile Film Stories. Um, I'm going to be announcing a lot more things as uh, time gets closer to the event. But uh, again, it's April 29th, 30th, and May 1st. Now, let me share with you, in this episode, we have a guest. His name is Scott Bourne. You may have heard of him. Uh, especially if you're uh, savvy and curious and inspired by wildlife and nature photography. Um, Scott is, well, he's been doing this for a very long time. And uh, as as a professional photographer, he's going to share a lot of stories with us, including how photography turned into video and how video turned into his iPhone, or should I say he turned to his iPhone for video. It's going to be a really exciting and very inspiring story. And gosh, I got to tell you, I really learned a lot about birds and nature and how much patience you need um, capturing their their daily lives uh which happen in front of you if you know where to look and where to find them but scott's going to share all his stories it's going to be fantastic do me a favor though make sure that at the end of the podcast or at the beginning at any time that you don't miss the links to follow and go to his websites uh there will be those links will be on the notes Okay, in this podcast. So make sure you don't you don't miss out on those. Um, Also, one one more last thing. Congratulations to every single one of you who made it to participate in this year's film festival. As you may know, we've transformed the film festival in uh, in a few different ways. But um, I'm I'm just really excited. I love all your films. 
the judges are judging and I feel like that's a song. Anyways, I'm really excited to to meet a lot of you in San Diego. I'm really looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to it. Usually I look forward to this like every year. Okay, this will be two years, you know, since two years plus actually. So yes, I am super excited. Uh, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but yay. (laughs) All right, let's celebrate uh, together now with uh, with this episode of our podcast, and let's go and talk to to Scott. Seattle now with our good friend Scott Bourne. Scott, hi, welcome to the SBP podcast. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here. Oh, yes, I'm very honored to have you in our podcast. I know you're going to actually inspire many of our guests. Um, I should say listeners who also some of them are our guests. Um, Scott, if you don't mind, because you're going to do this better than me, why don't you share a little bit, just an introduction um, to who you are, and at least from your perspective, uh, mobile filmmaking, why are you here? Why am I talking to you other than uh, me looking up to you? Well, I'm working backwards. I, I started as a professional photographer covering motorsports. And then I moved into portraits and weddings like everybody else. And then I started doing landscape. But what I really wanted to do was birds and wildlife because I've studied birds all my life. I'm an ornithologist. And it came down to I just one day decided to do what I want to do. And I started photographing birds professionally. And I've been doing that for decades. And I was doing that with big, heavy DSLRs. And then as age got the better of me and my shoulder started to give out. I switched to micro four thirds. Olympus cameras found out about it and they offered me the highlight of my career, which was making me an Olympus visionary. So it's kind of the pinnacle of a photographer's career to be asked to be a a spokesperson or ambassador for a brand. And I did that for five years, but then something happened that I wasn't expecting. And that was over that five years, calls for still photography just seemed to dry up. And, I, you know, there weren't as many jobs. And I do this for a living. So everybody wanted video. People kept saying, well, yeah, but if you got video, if you got video. And I had played around with video for 10 years. So I knew, you know, I knew the basics. I resisted as long as I could. But then I got an opportunity to work on a couple of docks. And they required that I use specific cameras that uh, were on the Netflix production list. And unfortunately, Olympus was not on the list. So I had to resign myself from that program so that I could work on those docs. But then COVID showed up again, and both of those got postponed for a year. And I thought, great, so now what am I going to do? Well, I lead photographic tours every year to a place called Bolsca del Apache, New Mexico, which is on the Rio Grande River in central New Mexico. It's where hundreds of thousands of birds migrate every winter. And I had my iPhone with me 
and I bought the new iPhone because it does ProRes, and that had just completely blown my mind. I thought, what the heck? I'm going to shoot with this thing. And Susie, the footage that I got out of it, it just changed my life, basically. I, I just could not believe what I was getting with that. And it was so freeing because, you know, as a bird photographer, we don't get to have actors hit their marks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't get to sit there and, and, and uh, say, okay, I want you to pull focus when he goes from here to there. And, uh, you know, you don't, we don't have gaffers, light and stuff. And we don't, you know, it, it just doesn't work that way. We're photographing and filming objects that generally don't want to be anywhere near us. And, oh, yeah, they can fly. So <laughs> the, the ability to just immediately grab something that's in your pocket and, you know, capture that moment as it flies by, there was really a cathartic moment for me. I was driving around the refuge. I've been going there for decades. I know it very well. And it was sunrise. I was on a dirt road as I always am there during the winter. And I came upon this tree and the sun was just coming up over the Chupadera Mountains behind this tree. And as it did, a flock of Rosses and snow geese flew overhead. And it was just, you know, one of those oh, moments. Yes. And if the and golden a, moment, <laughs> and I had a, and I had a black magic, uh, cinema 6k with me. And, uh, I had an Ari with me and I had a red with me <laughs> and wow. Grab, Grabbing those cameras and setting them up would have taken like, I don't know, three or four minutes. And those birds would have been five miles away. So while I'm driving my car with my right hand, I literally grab the iPhone and start rolling on this. You know, I got the window down. <laughs> I, I come to a stop so I get a little bit of stability. And then I follow these birds across this. And it's a nine-second clip. But it was beautiful. And... I would have never gotten anything else out of the bag. And that's when it dawned on me. I need to spend a year really trying to work with the camera that everybody's got in their pocket for two reasons. One, just to test myself. And as an artist, I always find the best way to test yourself is to limit yourself. It's super easy to, to make something great when you've got tons of money, tons of budget, tons of staff, tons of gear, tons of great everything. But when you when you've got minimal gear, it, it, it requires you to tap into something inside you. And that's what usually brings out the best stories. So I wanted to do it for that reason, but I also wanted to do it because I've been an educator for 30 years, teaching people about photography and video. And I thought, you know, I know everybody has one of these with them. Let me see if I can figure out how to help them use them better. So those two things have put me on a year long journey to just see what I can do with an iPhone. And, and I'm so, I'm so committed to it that I bought an iPhone SE, which is my telephone and I'm using, oh. and I'm using an iPhone 13 pro as a dedicated camera. Wow. I, I'm still trying to get over the fact that you had all these professional cameras in your car with you while you're driving around. <laughs> um, yeah, that's incredible. Was, so it, you had a lot of choices. Yeah, it just, but see, the thing is, the boot up time on every one of those cameras was longer than the birds were going to be flying. You know, this is uh, one of the cool things about what you're doing, which I find really impressing, uh, impressive, is that you shoot nature, and nature is 
probably one of the, I mean, you, you cannot control that. And you may think, I remember in, in some of my classes in college where uh, the instructor was telling us, said, you know what, there's two types of photograph, uh, videography that are very hard. And both of those, one of them is what you said with nature and the other one was sports. And he said, because you can't, it's very hard to follow with the camera. You have to think ahead and you're, you have to point your, your, your lenses ahead of the action uh, in order to capture it because it's moving. And so for a photographer to capture a still, that's even harder than video. Yeah, the, the most important part of my job is just recognizing that I'm not in control of anything. (laughs) (laughs) There's almost a religious aspect to it. It's focus and devotion to an idea over which I have absolutely no control. I mean, the birds don't come to me. I can't get them to come. They don't, they don't follow orders. If you're a wedding photographer or videographer, you know, the bride's going to show up. Now there's sometimes they're not sure the groom's going to show up, but the bride is definitely (laughs) going to show up. And, like you say, you can have people hit their marks, but the kind of work I do, first of all, you have to know where to find them. I mean, these are the kind of calls I get. Scott, do you happen to have any footage of a bald eagle carrying a jackrabbit in its talons? Wow. So you get to drive around and just basically capture stuff that presents itself to you, or do you go out looking for these things? Both. I get assignments. Um I'm heading to Alaska, in fact, uh, in like 21 days. I have an assignment to do some Eagle footage for a company, a couple of companies. And uh, I know what I'm doing and where to go. And see, part of my job is beyond operating a camera. It's knowing how to find wildlife, how to get close to wildlife, and how to deal with wildlife. So my job has several multiples of difficulty you know, it's like the figure skater. I get a, an extra six points because <laughs> I there aren't that many people that even can say, I can guarantee you I know where I can find bald eagles on certain certain dates. Wow, that's true. That's really interesting. Yeah, and my job depends on it. That's why I get hired, frankly. I can guarantee people. If they say, I need bald eagles, I say, okay, I can guarantee you footage. And so now... Speaking to that, how do you, because I know that um, zooming in with a, with a phone as opposed to with a DSLR camera with the lenses um, is hard. Uh, how, do you, how do you compensate for that difference? Well, there's, there's the basic B-roll that the camera, the three cameras in the iPhone 13 Pro can give me what I need. And there are going to be times when simply there isn't enough lens because we have just, you know, sometimes the birds are so far away. So <clears throat> I'm not exactly sure how this is going to work out, but I just decided to start digiscoping. I don't know if you know what that means, but it's I, like I, a telescope, but with the, um, with the, with the camera lens, right? It's not technically a telescope, but yeah, you can use binoculars or a telescope or what we call the field optic. Um, uh, yeah, so I use a Kawa TS99 
field optic and I have a special adapter that the iPhone goes on, that gets me up to 3,000 millimeters effective focal length. And I have not field tested this. So whether or not it's going to work, I don't know. And that's where the compromise will come. And I may not be able to tell the stories completely with a mobile phone. There may be times when I have to go to the cinema cameras because I need more reach. But I don't know yet. But it's a year-long project, and that's one thing we're going to find out. And one of the things that also helps um, is actually, uh, my dad was a photographer, and one of the things he always carried with him for, for certain things was a, was a tripod. I know that when, uh, when people are getting photos of, uh, say, the moon during moon eclipses and things like that, you see all the pros with their, with their tripods, you know, for a reason. Uh, because the, the the you stabilize the camera completely in order to get the sharper shot, right? Right. When you're at so, those, yeah. when you're at those working distances, the slightest touch or vibration will make everything out of focus. So actually, I use a a Shackler video tripod, very high end video tripod, which I have actually run my iPhone on as well. And I have a real expensive fluid head. It's, you know, it's all the same stuff. It's just not what you expect to see on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a, um, I I think it's, um, oh, I forgot the brand. I'm so sorry. It it costs $2,000, though, a tripod for regular, you know, videography for cameras. Um, And um, (laughs) when I put my iPhone on it, it almost looks like, you know, like, the image of the big giant man, you know, with the tiny little head on top. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I, you know, I have some other tripods. I have a couple of Jitsu tripods and I can put the iPhone on there and it's more than enough. It just depends on whatever else I'm doing. I usually have a slider with me. Maybe one of those will be on top of one of the tripods and then I can put the iPhone on the slider. So I, I always have a lot of gear with me, but the fact of the matter is there's times when I just pull the phone out of my pocket and shoot because that's what I have to do. The opportunity presents itself. It's not, I, I can't get the birds to back up and say, fly by here again, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, there's a thing we do in, at Bolsky de Apache. It's called the blast off. And it's where tens of thousands of birds leave the pond all at once. And, oh. you know, when it happens, it's like six seconds and it's gone. So it's not like you get do-overs. Oh, that's, that, that's magical. I've, I've, when I was growing up in Spain, in Sevilla, there's a, there's a park there that has a lot of pigeons come there. And um, they'll be all over, you know, your head, your shoulders. They're just all over you. Um, and then they do that. They literally all will, and they fly away all at once. I've seen videos of things like that where they do this slow motion, you know, um, and it's beautiful. Well, and that's one of the things that impressed me about the iPhone. I shot the Blackmagic cinema cameras, uh, both the 6 and 12K. They're beautiful cameras. They do amazing stuff. I was using cine lenses. It's all very high-end, hoity-toity stuff. And I looked at the footage that I got from my iPhone side by side because the Blackmagic shoots in ProRes. And when we cut it together in Final Cut, I was pointed out to people saying, tell me which one of these is from an iPhone. And, you know, people couldn't tell. 
That's so awesome. It's yeah. it's really awesome to hear this from you, you know, as opposed to just um, because you have you have to have a special eye, you know, as a professional, you know, when they say if you take great pictures, you have a good eye. You know, it's a trained eye. Right. 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 Well, I mean, I the thing is, whether it's an iPhone or an Ari, whether it's an iPhone add-on lens or a Panavision lens, light is light, sun angle is sun angle, story is story, and you know all the usual stuff. I mean, I I approach this kind of work as a cinematographer, and I ask myself every shot: How does this help? move the story forward. And if I can't answer that question with specificity, I don't make the image. Hmm. I want to talk about that. That's actually a good little segue because um, I love documentaries and I'm very passionate. I've been that way my whole life for whatever reason uh, about stories and storytelling. And one of the things that uh, I read about you was that you uh, you like telling stories about nature with photography. Do you mind uh, expanding on that a little bit? No, I, I just, there's so many stories about nature that people don't know. And the value in particular, since I'm a birder, the, the role that birds play in our lives is phenomenal. I mean, if you look at things like a common hummingbird moving along and getting nectar. This helps flowers grow. And there are certain birds that aren't real attractive, uh, <laughs> vultures. But if it weren't for vultures, the human population would probably be wiped out by disease because they eat carrion. And nature has so many cool ways of protecting both the birds and us. I'll give you a simple example you've probably heard of the avian flu or bird flu yeah. at Bosque del Apache one year there was some bird flu there and it's serious if one bird gets the avian flu 10,000 can be dead the next morning so it's really kind of a big deal now the reason that these birds sleep on ponds at night is their natural predator is coyote and the birds have feathers that they tuck underneath them and they don't feel cold. Everyone worries that they're cold. They're not. In fact, you've heard of coats made of goose down. These are mm-hmm. snow geese, so they have this special same kind of protection. But they're sleeping on these ponds. And then if a coyote splashes into the pond, it wakes them up and they all take off. The thing is, if one of those birds is sick, the coyote can smell that specific bird and that specific bird will be just a little slower than usual. And the coyote will take that bird, use that to feed his family. The disease doesn't jump species and the other thousand birds are saved. Wow. So there's, there's a story and, and nature plays a really important part in our lives. And if you, if you're old enough, there used to be a commercial on TV. It said, it's not nice to mess with mother nature. And, and, you know, I I cover forest fires in Oregon. There's a special kind of pine cone in Oregon in certain trees that only falls to the ground if the ambient temperature reaches 400 degrees Fahrenheit. 
And then four four hundred degrees. That's in other words, if there's a forest fire, this pine yeah. cone then falls to the ground and starts another tree. Oh. Nature has all sorts of amazing, amazing stuff, and I, I like telling these stories. I like thinking about simple things like birds singing. Um, most people don't know this, but very few female birds sing. It's mostly the males. And they do it to attract the females, right? Yeah. Although there are cardinals, for instance, the females will sing as well. Uh, but but in, in, in the bird world, there are so many cool things that the average person doesn't know. For instance, there, there are birds called Harris's hawks. These are raptors. You find them typically in the uh, southern Texas region, northern Mexico. They're the only bird in the world that hunts in packs. So think of wolves. Now they hunt in a pack. A Harris yeah. hawk will actually hunt in packs and share its kill. No other bird does that. And moreover, if a Harris hawk is wounded, the other Harris hawks will pay attention to it and try to help nurse it back to health. Wow. You know, uh, when you were just talking earlier about these moments of things where you go looking for them, and, and sometimes they appear in front of you. Um, I used to live up in the mountains here in the San Diego County. And um, I was uh, driving to work early one morning and um, there was a, now I, I don't know if it was a hawk or what exactly it was, but it had just picked up a snake and, and began, you know, just dove down, picked up the snake and flew off with it. And you could see this, the, the snake just sort of, you know, moving with it as it was going away and I was just driving and looking at that going oh my god it's such a neat thing to as creepy as it was right <laughs> such a neat thing to see and don't drop it on my you know on, on the roof of my car all kill myself um, but it was such a neat thing that you you normally see in documentaries like the ones that you make right yeah, I want to tell these stories to people. I go to places, and most of my job, Susie, is waiting. And the reason that young people can't do my job is that young people can't be patient. <laughs> I'll lay in a snowbank for two and a half hours when it's 17 below to get a shot. It it's just It's just you have to understand that nature happens. You have to put yourself in the best position to capture it, you have to be smart enough to understand, okay, this is, there are birds in this area, there are perches in this area that they're going to hit, there's food, there's cover, there's water, there's everything I need. So I just have to be patient. So I'll sit sometimes in a blind, which is just a little tent with a hole for days. And I just have to wait for something to happen. And during that waiting, I get to spend time thinking about how nature's plan works and where we all fit in it. And the one thing that I really like about birds and why I specialize them is unlike us, they're not self-aware. And what I mean by that is they don't know they're going to die. So they live this amazing life that's in the moment. So an yeah. example, you know, a robin comes along and gets a worm. If the robin was a human being, the robin would be saying, well, this is a good worm, but where's my worm going to come from tomorrow? And then how am I going to store these worms if I need to store them for the weekend? And what if there aren't any more worms? 
that's how a human being would process that. Uh, Robin just goes, I got a worm. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, kind of like little kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they just. I the got moment. the ball. <laughs> they, they don't. They don't care like we do about the future. They just live in the moment, and. 90% of what they do, of course, is pre-programmed genetically. You've heard the con uh, phrase probably before, bird brain. Birds have very small brains. They don't do a lot of thinking. Everything's genetic. But they do some pretty amazing things. They navigate by the stars. They uh, go to the same places every year for food and for uh, breeding. You live in San Diego every January on the cliffs of La Jolla. The California brown pelican, which is a, a particular species of pelican, comes there in breeding plumage. And for just a few weeks, it's beautiful purple feathers and orange and yellow to attract a mate. At the same time, there's a bird there called a Brant's cormorant with a big, just fluorescent blue chest, also mating. And these things happen at certain times. I know where they're going to happen. I know when they're going to happen. And I just make sure I'm there to get the captain capture the footage so let me ask you something uh this just came to mind when you were talking about being patient so i was uh holding the boom and the mic uh for an interview and this interview was like the longest interview i had ever experienced you know why i started itching on my legs they just started itching and i couldn't move because i was holding the microphone and of course if you when you're holding the microphone in the boom Right. If you shift that, then there goes the audio with it. So I'm sitting there just holding it and just going, please don't let this be what I think it is. <laughs> you know what it was? Well, I was standing on a anthill. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I had all the, as soon as it was done, I ran to my car and, uh, you know, took off my pants and shook my pants <laughs> from all the ants um, because I had ants that had crawled up into my pants. It was one of the worst experiences I ever had. But I had to sit there, you know, patiently <laughs> just waiting and trying to keep that off of my mind and concentrating on my job, which was very simple, but it was the hardest time I've ever had doing that. Have you ever laid somewhere, you were talking about laying there for hours. Is anything, it doesn't have to be ants, but, you know, maybe snakes or something come across and yeah, bothered I'll, you? I'll, I'll answer that, but first I'm going to say you might want to invest in a C-stand with a boom pole mount on it. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, when I was very young, I went to Africa, and I was in a river trying to photograph elephants. And female elephants are the boss in an elephant herd. And they're usually the largest. And there were 300 elephants and she noticed me and she stopped the herd. And I had to stop with it because if, if I got, you know, underneath them, they trampled me and wouldn't even know I was there. And while that happened, uh, 111 leeches attached themselves to my, to my skin. So that was, Oof. that wasn't <laughs> yeah yeah see things like that they do require and it, and you keep doing it again you're like whatever i mean right i mean well here's the favorite thing you know you've done something like i have a shot of a bald eagle that i made with a 20 millimeter lens that's a super wide angle lens and i've got a full frame shot with the bald eagle's wings fully extended 
it's one of the only pictures that hangs in the chairman's office at Olympus because I made it when I was an Olympus visionary. And that's the one I laid in the snow for more than two hours to get. You know, you show people the image and go, yeah, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, they don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and they don't care. That's just it. And that's the thing you've got to get over. If you want to move on, nobody cares how hard it was. Nobody cares what you did to get the shot. When people start explaining to me how hard it was or, well, yeah, but you got to look at this because I had a, I already know it. It's going to, it's going to suck. It's like, if you have to explain it, it's not good enough. So just suck it up and do what you're supposed to do. And, um, that's the way, you know, on that, on that note, on that note, I will say that most of the people that watch movies don't really care at all, really, they don't. whether you shot it with an Ari or an iPhone, right? No. And, and I just watched a movie today. Um, uh, it's kind of a stupid little movie, but I enjoyed it called free guy. And I always watch the credits and, you know, I think 600 people worked on this movie. You know, the efforts of 600 human beings went into this. So, you know, during the movie, though, you're not thinking about them. You're just, yeah, it's pretty good. And we all have a part to play. And if you want to do this job, there's only one reason to do this job, Susie. It's because you have to. If you're trying to get into this and you don't feel like like this is the only reason for you to live, you're in the wrong business. Because that's... That's the only way this works. You've got to say to yourself, you know what? Without this, there's no life for me. Then you know you're in the right place. And then all that stuff like laying in the snow and the ants and whatever, the leeches, it just, you know, it's just stuff. You know, it could be worse. part of the job. You could be a roofer in Las Vegas in 110 degree heat. So, I mean, you know, everybody has stuff about their job that's hard. Nobody wants to hear about it. I don't share those stories very much because... All they care about is the result. And when I show it to the editor, he doesn't want to know how hard it was. He just wants to know that it works. Yeah. It, it, and it's, it's the conversation, you know, about all the gear and, and the how-tos and things like that. And, and even sitting for, at the end of a movie and watching the credits roll, that I, I watched The Matrix. It was the first time I went to a theater, you know, uh, after... COVID. And when, when I sat there, there were probably six people in the whole theater anyways, because I went to the matinee show and I sat there till the very end of the credits. And then they did a little spoof thing at the end, which is very typical now. Right. Right. But I looked around, (laughs) there was nobody there. It was just me sitting there watching the credits and they don't stop. You know, at a theater, they don't say, well, nobody's watching, stop it, because it's all computerized. But they've never done that, because there's always somebody watching the credits. Who cares? And usually those people are from the industry. Yeah, at the end of the day, if you're a storyteller, you're a storyteller, and you do whatever it takes to tell the story. Now, when you start, you're a gear hound, and when you end, you're a storyteller. That's been the progression. When I was a young man, I cared about the gear. Now that I'm an old man, all I care about is the story. In fact, you know, the simplest the simplest thing I know to be true in the world is the following mm-hmm. sentence. Nobody cares what you do. They care why you do it. 
That's it. I'm going to quote you on that. I love Feel it. Free. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, that's very true, though, because it's what drives you that people are most interested in. Yeah. Which is why I want to get to one thing. I want to, I want to ask you something here. We're talking about all this stuff. So, Scott, just share, if you don't mind. I mean, you were born just like all us humans. You were a child. What what drove you to this profession in the first place? What attracted you to it? I think the biggest overwhelming thing I can think of is I want to be heard. I have something to say. And this is the only way I know how to do it. And that's why you're a storyteller um, and using your your skills and your talent with your camera to do it, right? Yeah. And before I forget, um, the, the, the why thing, you can quote me, but you really need to quote Simon Sinek because it comes from a book I read of his called Start With Why. That's when I was... Oh. When I read that book, I was able to really articulate that simple life philosophy. Nobody cares what you do. They care why you do it. And I can immediately start to, if I'm in a room with people, I can start to parse out who I'm going to want to talk to based on whether the conversation is what or why. I just move past the what people. I just keep going right on by them. I look for the why people. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, uh, for me, storytelling has been something um, that for some reason people choose to share their stories with me. Naturally, people do that when you're growing up as a child. You know, they just love to share stories with children. But for some reason, right, as you grow up, some children are better listeners to those stories that people share than others. And people, there are subtle ways that people understand that you're actually really listening to their story um, or not, right? Yeah, empathy. You're talking about empathy. And there are many people that don't have it. And if you have a lot of it, then you're the kind of person that makes a great interviewer, for instance. You're the kind of person that people want to tell the story to because you have empathy, you, you care about what happens to them. And, the, you know, that's, sto- listen, storytelling is as old as the human race. You can mm-hmm. find the, you can find the, the drawings of the caves from Cro-Magnum Man, you know, uh, we, we've always told stories. In fact, we're always telling you, a couple of friends of mine said, well, there's only like three stories. We just keep retelling them. <laughs> 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 and, you know, like I, I've got a, the thing is I shoot a lot of B-roll that gets used in, in broadcasts, like for instance, Eagles. And I have to make up little stories in my mind of how they might use it. A perfect example is I, you know, Eagles fish. That's what they spend all their day doing in Alaska. Their preferred food is fish, although they will eat anything if they can get their hands on it. In this case, talons. Uh, I sit there and I watch them fish and I occasionally will shoot a nice sweeping panel of a, eagle coming in for a dive and they do
do this kind of cool thing where they can almost stop on a diamond in air in the air and sw- flip their ailerons around their their primary feathers and go a different direction. And you know, I got some footage like that, and I saw it on a show. I sold it as B-roll, and in the first show I saw it on, it was for a kids show, and they were using like this kids music. And the the announcer was, this is Ernie. Ernie's hungry. He's going out with a bunch of his friends looking for lunch, right? So then like nine months later, I see the same exact footage. And the music is like Jaws. And the narrator's like, this is the bald eagle, the apex predator, the most deadly animal in the sky. And then I'm thinking, I hope the little kids who watched Ernie don't recognize this and go, oh, wait a minute, that's Ernie. <laughs> He's not me. <laughs> <laughs> so what I do when I'm capturing B-roll is, you know, this is why since most people that know me think I'm weird. I tell myself these little stories about what's happening and how it may be used and because the, the, the B-roll jobs are actually the easiest and the hardest because they're just based on opportunity, but they're the hardest in that you don't know the story because it's going to be used in many different ways. Um, if you're doing an assignment where you're capturing B-roll as part of the script, that's one thing. But for nature photography, we're, we're just out there and, you know, it's not every day that a bald eagle flies over your head with a jackrabbit in your talons. And it's talent. So you want to make sure you get that. And we're worried about the story, story later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. But that that is that's um, I could only imagine that that's your imagination, you know, trying to keep you there for two hours. Right. Imagining mm-hmm. how how this is going to be. And that's how the story is the, you know, the interpretation of of that that piece of B-roll. I used to manage um, a lot of B-roll. Um, and it can be very boring, uh, if you think about it without, you know, for normal people, right? Uh, let's pan left, let's pan right. Let's, let's do a tilt. Let's follow it this way. Let me go up from the bottom. Let me go up to the top and give all that candy to the editor, right? So they'll have something to choose from. Oh yeah. But with nature photography... You can't really just do that. <laughs> well, well, there are there are times that you can. Um, yeah. You, you know, like if you find a perch, birds go, go back to the same perch over and over and over. So if I find a bald eagle sitting on a log and I, I see him go hunt and come back, hunt and come, I know that's where he's going to be. So there you can do stuff like, all right, let me do an MCU real quick. All right, now I'm going to do an ECU now. I'm going to do a pan and, you know, till now I'm going to do like kind of a a side to side reveal. I'll hide from, I'll move the camera behind these bushes and reveal the log. And um, I audited a class that uh, UCLA film school that talked about this called Ed Fat, entire details, focal length, angle, time. Try to get the shot as an, you know, think of a Kevin Costner movie. First shot is the big valley. Second shot, detail shot. So maybe it's just a cowboy spur in a boot. Uh, um, and edit fat focal length, shoot at different focal lengths, shoot it wide, shoot it tight, uh, angle, shoot it from high, shoot it from low, uh, 
time. Shoot it with a slow shutter speed, fast shutter speed, different time of day, morning, noon, night. You know, so th- that's kind of like the way I try to approach it. I have this thing, this acronym I use called EDFAT. So when I get the opportunity, yeah, I get all that coverage because it makes the editors happy. Oh, my gosh. Most definitely. Can I ask you a question? How many, how many, now I don't have the high, I have an iPhone XR. So anybody who's listening out there and feels sorry for me, go ahead and send me the next, the new one. (laughs) (laughs) But, (laughs) but um, I've got over 4,200 photos and 69 or 73 or something like that videos on my iPhone right now, which I need to clean up. How many do you have? Uh, on the norm? See, that's an easy question for me to answer. Zero. Because after every job, I dump the phone. I used to. (laughs) Yeah, but I have a terabyte of storage. I got the most storage. But when you're running full res, you know, full full, uh, ProRes HQ, 422 HQ, you got, you got, if you have a naked phone you just bought from Apple and you want to run ProRes 422 HQ, that's about two hours worth and it's full. That's with the terabyte of storage. So I don't mess around as soon as I can, I dump them. And most of my sessions in the field are about two hours long. So that gives me just enough footage to go dump it. And then I back it up to the cloud and then I go back out again. So my phone right now hasn't got much on it. It's yeah, I treat it as a camera. I have a, I have an iPhone SE that, you know, has maybe a hundred pictures on regular. it. That's that's yep. if if you call me on the phone, that's what I'll talk to you on. My iPhone 13 Pro is sitting in a big cage right now. Wow, and 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 it's surrounded by lots of padding because that's your camera, right? <laughs> yeah, this is my real camera. Well, and you know, I have I, I need to be able to put a new neutral density filter on there. It's you know, it's a little more inconvenient. For instance, with the Black Magic, you can press a button and you got a neutral density filter with. With this, you've got to do the old screw-on thing, use adapters. You know, there are times when it's a little inconvenient, but over and over as I look at the imagery I'm able to capture and the footage I'm able to capture, particularly things like time lapses, uh, stuff at night, I, I just, I look at it and I think, you know, this, and, and of course 90% of the TVs in the country are 1080p, and I'm looking at it at 4K, and it just looks gorgeous. And... I don't think we're far off from the time when people are going to say, you know, it's kind of caught up. And all you have to do is go to Apple's website and look at all the stories they have of various movies that were made with an iPhone. And, you know, it all goes back to the same thing, Susie. The the gear doesn't mean squat. It's the story. Do you know how to, to tell the story? What coverage do you need to tell the story? Do you understand, like, the guy's going to walk inside the door? So you got an exterior shot of him putting his hand on the doorknob. you got an interior shot of the doorknob turning. you got an interior shot of him entering the door. I mean, you know, if you've, lear- if you've learned how to think like that um, and, and tell stories, it doesn't really matter what your camera is. And, the, you know, when it comes to filmmaking for things like that, a lot of people... You know, it, you know, because of, because of our film festival, right. I get to watch a lot of films and it doesn't matter whether they're shot with an iPhone or not, or a, or a smartphone, I should say, because what I'm looking for is 
is that if if it's a narrative film or or any film always it always has some sort of a story but it's how it's cut how it's shot and how those how those um how those uh, video clips are cut together to do that and you can always see someone who's never made a film before that I know that from them because they've told me I've never made a film before I submitted it to your film festival and I'm looking at that in the way that it's cut and it's it's cut much like a lot of the movies are they're cut on the action and they're getting you know when someone speaks you know or someone's looking this way and they're shooting it from this angle that angle taking time to do things like that is what distinguishes your film um not meaning yours you know but from someone of some of our listeners right now um from somebody else's that might make that big difference in getting selected to a film festival but even better yet make it memorable right a memorable story because in the end you want to tell a story that people remember i think for me if i'm just going to be blunt and i'm going to be blunt because that's what i'm known for uh, yeah. people who say I can't make my movie because I don't have this piece of gear or that piece of gear. It's just a crutch. You know, it, it's just an excuse. It's easier and safer to stay on the couch, but it doesn't really matter what you have. What what matters is that you know how to tell a story. Now, Stephen King answers this question. How do you become a better writer with one word? Read. <laughs> he, he says this all the time. You want to become a better writer? Read. Well, I got news for you. Want to become a better cinematographer? Watch lots of really good cinematography. And I'll give you one right now. 1883. It's on the Paramount Network. Kevin Costner's, it's the prequel to Kevin Costner's Yellowstone. This is one of the most beautifully shot films I've ever seen. And I'm going to watch it dozens of times. The, The way that they frame up the shots, the way each shot advances the story <clears throat> they it, it's it's just beautiful stuff so you want to become a better filmmaker from the camera point of view then watch lots of film you want to be a better writer then read lots of scripts you know it's it's really simple you just watch and learn i almost i almost think like it's it's in our genes and i'm not talking about our blue genes i don't know if there's anybody left on this earth somewhere that has never watched a, f- a film or a, or a movie in some sort, documentary, something, you know? Do you, do you, does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah, everybody's seen something. One of the best ways to make movies, to share stories, I believe, that get, that are the most consumable, right? Um, you know, only a certain amount of people will read, right? Only a certain amount of people will listen, you know, and I'm talking about just doing these things individually. But a lot of people are more attracted to, well, like you were saying, you know, you were getting the requests for video all of a sudden. And that's, that's probably why, because of the reach and the attraction to video and how consumable it is. Easier to make than ever. <laughs> I mean, right. I, this, this, this fact that I carry this little phone in my pocket and I can shoot ProRes with it and cut it with something that was really much more expensive and have it look good, it, it, it tells me we're past the point of we really don't need to have any more gear conversations. 
we should try to spend as much time talking about story as we can. And every time I'm invited to be on a podcast, sometimes people don't like it because I'm going to keep trying to talk about story when they want to talk about gear. But I, I just think that, um, you know, there's another tip I'll give. If you, if you really want to learn something about storytelling and you're lucky enough to have a grandparent who's alive, go get yourself the cheapest light you can find, create a nice little simple backdrop, put a lapel mic that you can buy for 12 bucks at Radio Shack on your grandmother, your grandfather, set up your iPhone on a tripod and ask them to start telling stories of their youth and just shut up. You know, there's so many different ways to do this. You can listen to something as simple as a 60 second radio commercial. If it's well done, look up Dick Orkin's radio ranch and listen to some of the commercials those guys created. Uh, they tell whole stories in 60 seconds and learn how that language works, how that flow works. What's the movement like? And, uh, you know, try to figure out what it is you're passionate about, because that's the other key we haven't talked about quite yet. That goes to the why. What is it you're passionate about? In my case, it's birds. But whatever it is, steam trains or tadpoles, it doesn't matter. If you care about it, then start telling stories about it. And when you find success or failure, know this. It usually has little to do with your ability as a storytelling um, artist and more to do with finding the right audience. Yeah. And, and, and again, with video, that really enlarges the, the audience that you're going to capture with it, right? That's right. Yeah, that's, that's why I've started doing a podcast all about capturing stories with iPhones because I, I want people to understand there's no more excuses. We've got the gear we need. It's in our pocket. Now let's go out and do the work. So there's two ways to go about this. There is, you know, let me, let me get the best. This is the traditional way that I've been since 2009. I've been involved with this, uh, Scott, and it's always in it. And it's not bothersome, but it's just very typical, right? Which is what can I get? What's the best camera? That was, that's the most typical question. What's the best phone that I can use as a camera? Right. And then where do I get a gimbal? Where do, where do I get lenses? Should I get lenses? How do, you know, all those things. And I, and the, and the first thing, you know, I teach workshops, you know, for this as well. And people, the first thing that I say is, what is the story that you want to tell? That's the first question. Imagine that story. And now imagine that you can, you can capture that story with your phone. What are you really going to need? Build your story, build your gear around your story that you're really going to need. Start practicing and then you'll know what you need and stop, you know, literally stop searching and searching because it's a never ending search. It'll never end. Scott, your, your camera gets, you know, upgraded, you know, the next phone comes out, you know, there's going to be upgrades and then you're going to have to upgrade this. Then you're going to have to upgrade that. Now you got to search all over again and you'll never get to make anything. You're never going to get to share the story if you keep going that way. Right. Yeah. Well, I used to teach a business of photography class. And on the first day, I would tape underneath each seat a little note. 
And then when I would get up to the front of the class, I'd say, all right, everybody, I'm going to randomly pick somebody here out of the audience. And I'd like for whoever I pick to confirm that we don't know each other. And I would like for you to ask the first question of the year. And the first question of the year was always, what camera should I buy? And I'd tell everybody, okay, now look underneath your seats. And I'd written it down. The first question will be, what camera should I buy? <laughs> and my answer was always the same. If you get yourself a client, I'll get you a camera. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so you have to have the order of things. It's the camera is the least important thing. The story is the most important thing. So I think we've, uh, we've covered that ground well here, and I'm glad to have had the opportunity to do it. I am stoked, Scott, that you uh, were willing to spend some time with me tonight um, to actually share your stories with our listeners. Um, is there anything that we've missed before, uh, before we end this? Well, I'll just say this. If I can do it, anybody can do it. So, you know, <laughs> I'm the least amongst you. So don't, don't sit there and hide on the couch, get off the couch and go do something and then share it with the world. We want to hear what you have to say. We'll never know because if you don't tell us. Scott, thank you for being on the show. Uh, say goodbye to our listeners. Hey, thanks for having me. If you're interested in hearing my iPhone podcast, it's called the iPhone Photo Show. You can find it on any podcast player. And I'm available to help any way I can. My email address is scott at scottborn.com. I answer my own email. If there's something you think I can help you with, do not hesitate to reach out. That's what I love, love doing most is helping people however I can. So thanks so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. 